Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Damon, your host. Today's guest is Richard Rangham. Richard Rangham is a professor of biological anthropology at Harvard University. He's the curator of primate behavioral biology at the Peabody Museum and the director of the Kibali Chimpanzee Project in Uganda. He's been featured on NPR in Scientific American, The New Scientist and the Boston Globe, among many others. And he is here today on Health Watch to talk about his new book, Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. Welcome to Health Watch, Richard Rangham. Thank you, David. Nice to be here. Uh, well, let's, let's um, acquaint our, our listeners about the premise of the book, Catching Fire. You, you assert that um, cooking isn't really an optional thing for humans, but actually something that helped form, or maybe it was the vital thing that helped form both our anatomy, our physiology, and our brain function. Well, yes. Um, what uh, the evidence that I've found is that humans are um, not really capable of living on a raw food diet, except under the most extraordinary circumstances, namely uh, modern urban industrial society when people can eat domesticated foods gathered from around the world and not have too much uh, activity. But in the wild, it just doesn't look sensible. Uh, it looks as though uh, people would basically starve. And uh, so we're different from every other animal. We, we have adapted evolutionarily to needing to have cooked foods. And, and is there some evidence in the, in the fossil record and anthropology around how um, cooking being introduced um, made us change from primates? Well, from uh, other the primates? The, the evidence still needs to be weighed um, really fully, but uh, I think that what it tells us is that uh, we started cooking, our lineage started cooking, almost two million years ago, which is much longer than people have previously thought. But here's the reason. The uh, difference between humans and every other species of non-human primate in terms of our guts, what enables us to digest, is the fact that our guts are very small. And you can see the small size of our guts as related to uh, the small uh, breadth of our pelvis holding the guts up and the, um, the reduced size of the rib cage uh, enclosing the, the top of the guts. And... Um, we can look in the fossil record and see when we got that narrow pelvis and the small rib cage, and that looks pretty clear. It's uh, with the evolution of Homo erectus, uh, which evolved about 1.9 million years ago. And, and so um, the small digestive tracts that we have and the smaller mouths and the smaller jaws, those are all suggestive of the fact that we actually evolved through um, having the ability to cook our food? Yes, I mean, you're right to point to the small mouth and small jaw and the small teeth as well. The biggest drop in tooth size in human evolution happened uh, at that time we're talking about, 1.9 million years ago. And uh, it is uh, clear that when you cook your food, it becomes softer, and soft food is associated with small teeth. So it makes sense that uh, cooking should have begun then. One of the great mysteries is if cooking did not begin at that time, when did it begin? There is no subsequent time when we see any evidence of a reduction in the size of the gut and a reduction in the size of the teeth which would conform to the notion of cooking. So that's why uh, the fact that it fits so well at 1.9 million years ago uh, is um, so attractive as the time when it seems likely that cooking started. And what would be some of the evolutionary advantages for um, human beings for uh, cooking their food in contrast to their other primate cousins? The overwhelming advantage that 
is indicated by the current evidence is that cooking increases enormously the amount of energy that we get out of our food. And energy is the critical resource when you are an animal in the wild. It's the thing that determines how many babies you can have and how well those babies survive and how well you survive yourself. And the suggestions uh, for the amount of energy provided by cooking are still got a, a wide range of error, but it's maybe 50% increase, maybe even higher, 80%, 100% increase in the number of calories we, we get from our food. So this is just uh, enormous. And it would mean that those individuals that first started cooking had a tremendous biological advantage over those that did not. That's far and away the most important consequence. But, of course, there are many others, like that uh, cooking destroys uh, poisons and um, it, uh, it controls bacteria in the food and it makes food softer and therefore easier to eat. But all of those things are um, coincidental, I think, to the really important biological feature of energy. So basically the same food, one, one piece cooked and another raw, would not provide us with the same amount of calories. Well, that's right. I mean, it's a puzzling thing to claim, of course, because if you look up on the USDA website or some other place where there are official data on the nutrient composition of different foods, you won't see that. What you will see instead is uh, the claim that the um, number of calories in a piece of raw beef is the same uh, as the number in uh, the same piece cooked, and the same for pastry and the same for fruits and vegetables and so on. But it's quite clear that those um, are not accurate when we think about the calories that we actually use in our body. And the reason that those data exist is because the way that the official food labeling system, the Atwater Convention, uh, counts calories is to essentially take the organic food and blow it up. And it's true that if you just burn raw meat, it'll have the same amount of calories as if you cook it, if you burn uh, cooked meat. But of course, our bodies don't burn it. Our bodies have to work hard to get at the calories. And furthermore, they don't always digest the food completely. And those two factors of how much of the nutrient you actually digest and how much work the body does to digest the food are critical in making cooked food much more energy rich than raw food. So just to reiterate what you just said, um what, part of what you're saying is if we're eating raw food, we actually we spend calories to digest the food, and so in a sense we get less uh, net energy from, from eating the raw food versus the cooked? Yes, you, you said that extremely well, and, and the, the reason is, is pretty clear. Uh, I mean, in the case of meat, for example, um, if you digest a piece of meat, then it's much harder work digesting meat that is wrapped up in all of the connective tissue uh, that um, meat is wrapped up in, but when you cook it, then the connective tissue, which is made of collagen, uh, essentially dissolves, gelatinizes, and makes the protein much more accessible to the body. And, and the, other, the other way in which cooked food is more calorie uh, or energy rich would be the fact that it's more absorbable. Um, well, yes, literally more digestible. More digestible. So is that, is that only an issue of raw versus cooked? Say, for instance, you take a whole grain versus a grain that has been stone ground into a flour. 
is there a difference in the energy richness of and the calorie content of that food in in a practical term? Yes, there definitely is. I mean, there are, there are nice experiments um, which have been done in the lab and then some with animals. I don't think there have been any experiments directly done with people um, with uh, whole grain versus uh, heavily processed uh, uh, flowers and seeds, for instance. But um, but it's quite clear from the, the general biology that it would be the case that um, if you eat um, a uh, half a pound of uh, wholemeal bread, then you will get less calories out of it than if you eat well, Wonder Bread. And the reason may not be that, um, I mean, whether or not you digested all of it, you would just have to, your body would have to work harder for the wholemeal bread, and therefore the net energy gain would be less. And have they actually measured the, the calorie, um, I mean, not the, cal- the calorie cost, how much we actually burn in terms of calories in the work of digestion? Has that been measured and, and compared to anything, like cons- compared to walking or compared to other activities that we do? Well, um, I think um, the, the overall, I mean, yes, there have been some measurements. Uh, there have not been measurements directly in humans of specific foods eaten cooked versus raw. It's difficult to do. Um, but um, the estimates that I've produced suggest that the uh, typical locomotor budget uh, you know, how much you, uh, energy you spend traveling in a day, walking about, is about the same as the amount that you spend on digesting your food. We're talking today with Richard Rangham, the author of Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. If you'd like to join the conversation, the number is 503-231-8187. So one of the things that you describe as a, uh, a huge advantage for humans is uh, with cooking is we don't have to spend so much energy digesting our food and we get more energy from our food where does all that saved energy go is that is that something that goes into brain development or some other aspect of what makes us human yeah it seems to go in a number of different directions uh, i mean probably partly it's responsible for the fact that uh, as hunters and gatherers uh, people expend a lot of energy every day just in walking about particularly men where the average distance they travel is something like three or four times as far as the average distance traveled by our uh, great ape relatives, probably because we're just uh, able to put more energy through our bodies. We also have relatively fast production of babies, again, a result of having um, more energy. But yes, you're right about the, the brain. I mean, the, the anatomy can change once you have predictably more energy available. But in this particular case of the brain evolution, there's an interesting little twist. And uh, it relates to the fact that associated with cooking, our ancestors have been able to have smaller guts, and, and we do too. And in the non-human primates, there is a, uh, an inverse relationship, a negative correlation between the size of the gut and the size of the brain. Species that have got a small gut are able to have a large brain. And the logic that people have used to explain this is that the species just happens to be able to eat high-quality food because it's evolved to do so. Uh, it can therefore have a small gut, and it uses the energy that it would have used for the larger gut to uh, fuel one of the most expensive organs in the body, which is the brain. So in primates, if they are able to have some energy spared from the gut, then they use it for the brain. And in humans, 
We have the smallest guts of any primates in relationship to body size, and we have the largest brains. So it seems that we were fitting a general rule, all thanks to cooking. And, and at the beginning of the show, uh, you mentioned the raw food movement, and I know a lot of people who are who find that argument intriguing. They're they're looking back at hunter-gatherer societies or the Inuit and saying these are these are old cultures that have have eaten a primarily raw food diet. And you actually go into uh, looking at that a little more closely. Could you could you share your thoughts and opinions on 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 that argument? Well, yes. I mean, I'm very sympathetic to raw foodists in the sense that if you've got the iron discipline to, to be able to stick to a raw food diet, then there's a lot to be said for it in terms of um, maintaining a good, healthy um, weight, and, um, uh, and you can get a, a very nice, balanced diet. But there is no evidence that any humans that we know of have been able to live off a raw food diet. So it's not as if we are biologically capable of doing that on a regular basis. And it turns out that in the uh, cultures, such as the Inuit, where people have been um, eating raw food uh, more than in other places, they still insist on eating a cooked food every night. And in fact, one of the interesting things is that the pattern of eating raw food is essentially as a snack. If you are an Inuit man and you're out hunting your um, seals and and whales and, and caribou and so on during the day, it's very difficult to uh, stop and whip up a fire and eat a fish that you catch or any other kind of animal food. So they do eat them raw on a regular basis under those conditions, but they absolutely insist that when they get home, their wife uh, will have cooked them a, a good food, a good meal, and... Um, uh, Stefansson, the great explorer, said that the Inuit will have their food cooked better than in any typical New York steakhouse. So they, they really want to make sure it's well cooked, he said. And is that true with other Aboriginal societies also? Yes. Um, the, the Inuit seem to be the most extreme in terms of the amount of meat that they eat raw. Uh, but I think what is true in general uh, of all of these hunter-gatherer societies that we know of is that they cooked, the evening meal um, was invariably cooked, and that if they ate their foods raw at all, uh, they would be the foods that were eaten uh, during the day um, while uh, away from the camp. And once they, if they're going to bring things back to the camp, then they pretty much eat them raw, uh, eat them cooked. So, so people who are going back to what they call the Paleolithic diet um, or the uh, purely raw food diet, they're, they may be mistaken in, in mimicking what, what our ancestors actually did, and they're eating more like a gorilla would eat. Is that correct? Well, yes, it's funny with the Paleolithic diet, because I mean, you've got various books advocating a Paleolithic diet and um, are not, not normally talking much about the uh, way that the diet should be processed. But um, I've talked to one or two of the authors, like, uh, like Lauren Cordain, who's got a nice book about this, and, and he said, no, 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 you know, it probably would all have been eaten raw. But then you look at uh, the recipes in his book, and, and they're all, quite naturally, uh, for cooked food. Uh, the, the Paleolithic diets are mostly concerned with emphasizing the importance of meat and of, um, of getting away from uh, too many uh, processed starch foods and so on. So they're trying to present the kinds of foods that our hunters and gatherers would have eaten. But they don't talk about how it would have been processed. And... Um, 
I don't know any book that specifically encourages people to eat a lot of meat raw. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not really to be recommended for various reasons. Uh, you mentioned a couple studies where I think one of the studies was following some uh, raw foodists in Germany and another was some people who went on a, on a primate-like diet for a while. Can you talk about the results of some of those studies? Well, yeah, th these are studies of people who've chosen to eat a raw food diet in, in modern urban society. And um, unfortunately, we don't have the ideal kind of study yet, which is that you would take somebody who uh, is eating a cooked diet and then put them onto a raw diet and see what happens. But these were cross-sectional, uh, or the, the big study, the German ones, the cross-sectional study of um, almost 600 people who reported how much raw food they ate. And then there were... Uh, some measurements of their physiology, and there were two dramatic uh, results. One was that their body mass index, their weight for height, was uh, pretty low. It was quite a lot lower than for people who eat cooked food, and in fact, the authors of the study concluded that they typically suffered from chronic energy shortage. And then the second result was that for women, as they uh, went up to eating 100% of their food raw, 50% of the women... Uh, were completely amenorrheic. In other words, uh, they were not menstruating. Their ovarian system had shut down, and obviously they'd be entirely incapable of having a baby. And the remarkable thing about this is that it's under the most ideal conditions. It's where the food is available for uh, the entire year. There's no seasonal food shortage because you can get it from all around the world. And it's very high quality. It's the domesticated foods, which have, if in the case of plant foods, they have... Uh, high sugar and low fiber. Uh, in the case of the meat foods, it's uh, relatively fatty and, um, and certainly much less tough than you get in the wild. Uh, and yet they're, um, they're really suffering. And still, um, often the food is quite highly processed by blenders and grinders and so on. Um, and these are not people who take much exercise. So in other words, under the most ideal conditions, raw foodists uh, are suffering biologically in terms of their their weight and their reproductive ability. At, at the very least, that would ar the lack of menstruation would argue that it might be an evolutionary disadvantage, I would guess. Yes. I mean, to have 50% of the women um, not being able to menstruate is really extraordinary. But, I mean, I, I study chimpanzees in my day job and uh, in the wild, and uh, it's quite true that um, they have a hard time themselves acquiring enough food, but... Um, as long as there is a decent amount of ripe fruit in the forest, then 100% uh, of the uh, females are ovulating and menstruating. Whereas uh, here, as I say, under ideal conditions, um, women raw foodists are biologically suffering, even if emotionally and, and uh, in terms of the way they feel about themselves, they, they're doing really well. well. Let's take our first caller. Welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Richard Wrangham. Oh, hello, uh, Richard. I have a couple of questions uh, you're, you're, uh, concerning your energy hypothesis. Uh, the, fir the first, uh, in essence, uh, I've read some studies as well, is that uh, they've determined that uh, over-ingestion of, of too much energy uh, leads to, to, to disease. And how does that, uh, I mean, how do you put limits on your hypothesis? And another one is uh, cooked versus raw. I mean, uh, what's the actual uh, percentage of energy that is greater? Is it 500% greater uh, energy that you get or... And I'll take the answer off the air. Thanks, Thanks for the calls. 
Yeah, thanks a lot, and I, I wish we knew the answer to these questions. I mean, the amazing thing for me researching this book was how often uh, I came up against a, a brick wall in terms of what we actually know. I mean, you're absolutely right, uh, the caller, uh, to say that you can get too much energy from eating uh, cooked food. And, of course, in a sense, that's what's happening with the obesity crisis today. And, and I think it's interesting to think that the um, increasing processing that's going on with our foods uh, as it comes out of the um, uh, industrial food production system is contributing to that, the very small particle size of the, of the very finely ground flowers and so on. So, but, in a, um, so in other words, our preference for food that, is, that requires very little work to convert into energy has led us possibly down the obesity epidemic pathway. Yeah, I think it, it, it certainly would seem to have contributed to it. Um, that's right. Um, but, of course, it wouldn't be a problem in uh, the wild because uh, in most conditions, uh, uh, outside cities, I mean, in the rural areas, it's just not very easy to get enough food to be able to uh, get obese while taking all the activity that's needed to, to live. Sure. And we had another call off the air who wanted to ask about the role of smoking, curing, pickling, and fermenting, and where that fell in the raw versus cooked, since it's, it's sort of a, a different arena altogether. Yes, all those nice ways of, of uh, affecting food. Well, um, I think that um, many of the, uh, those sorts of processes would have this effect on food. It would, uh, it would denature the protein. And for meat, this is tremendously important. Um, so denaturing of a protein means that the uh, protein uh, moves from being a sort of tightly wrapped molecule with nothing sticking out to uh, a molecule in which the various uh, strands of, of linkages of amino acids are um, sticking out into solution and therefore able to be snipped off by uh, digestive enzymes. And heat absolutely predictably denatures protein and is almost certainly responsible for making protein more digestible when you cook. But some of those other processes you mentioned uh, also are responsible for denaturing protein, such as uh, drying and smoking. Is, is that why that some traditional cultures will take meat and pack it with fruit or uh, for the acids to sort of pre-digest the, the meat prior to eating it? Well, yes, great question. I mean, uh, it would be intriguing to know that. And as you say, the acid in uh, fruits mixed with the uh, meat protein is very likely to, to um, denature the meat and uh, promote its digestibility. Exactly right. And, and the first caller was talking about the difference in energy between raw and cooked. It, yes. is, it is true that cooked food are going to lose some nutrient value from raw in terms of vitamins and minerals. What, we're, what you're talking about here is mostly around calories. Is that correct? Well, well that's right. So, um, yes, if you look up um, uh, comments in uh, nutrition books about the effect of cooking, you will often see people pointing out that maybe 30 50% of the vitamins might be lost, although there are a few vitamins which actually increase by um, being cooked. But mostly they are lost, and so uh, often we tend to think that cooking lowers the nutrient value, and in that sense it does, the, the micronutrients. But the macronutrients are the ones that, that I'm focused on because those are the ones that matter from an evolutionary biological perspective where, where energy is so critical and is, and is so scarce. But even then, by the way, 
um, there has been some, I think, confusion, or at any rate some discussion about uh, the impact of cooking on energy, because people note that when you cook a piece of meat, you can have dripping losses, and uh, the juices that uh, fall from uh, a, a cooking steak will carry away some fats and protein and therefore reduce the energy value. And the question is, how much does it reduce it compared to the gains that you get from denaturing and gelatinizing the collagen and so on? And this is where we, we, need, we badly need more experiments. I mean, the caller said, how much benefit is there for cooking versus raw? And we still don't know. It's, it's just a guess. But, so that's why it's useful to be able to go to experiments where we look at, at people on raw and cooked diets and we see that those on cooked diets uh, get so much more energy. So where do, where do you think as a society we should go from here in terms, obviously, if your hypothesis is correct and we evolved as homo sapiens because of cooking um, and we prefer foods that are more processed and prepared, um, but yet we've processed them so far that we're now suffering diseases from overprocessing. Yeah. Do you suggest that, that the next step is to find a balance where we're adding in more raw foods into a generally cooked diet to help with weight issues? Or, or what is the solution from here? Yes, I mean, you know, I don't know how much uh, food processing contributes to the obesity crisis, but I'm sure it is contributing something to our general state of ill health as a population. So um, just as with uh, other scientific advances, I think we need to educate ourselves better. One of the very specific ways in which we need to educate ourselves is in producing a better estimate of the number of calories in a food according to the degree of processing. I mean, at the moment, our food labeling system takes uh, no notice of that at all. And so people have no idea that the more you cook something, then the more food you're getting out of it, the more calories you're getting out of it, uh, or that the more highly processed um, highly ground a food is than the more net calories you're getting out of it. So it would be great if we could modify our food labeling system to take advantage of that. I mean, the difficulty is that it's hard to get the numbers. But just the fact that you can't have very precise numbers yet, I don't think it should stop us from trying to educate people to think about the fact that it's better, if you're trying to lose weight, to eat food that is, well, more often raw than cooked and, um, and less highly processed. Well, it was great having you on Health Watch today, Richard. Uh, is there some place in particular people can find your book, Catching Fire? Uh, well, on Amazon.com. It was great having you today. Thank you so much for having me. Very much enjoyed the book. Okay, we were, great. We were talking today with Richard Rangham, the author of Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. Stay tuned for the rest of the Monday Morning Radio Zine.